0: Last weekend I got back from Guinea in West Africa and I learned a little French goes a long way. Uh, West Africa has a special place in the heart of our church. Uh, last year we entered into a ministry partnership uh, with a ministry in Ghana. We're very excited about that. For a number of years uh, we've been invested and present in the country of Guinea primarily through the compassion evangelical hospital and for me it was it was great to be there they're doing phenomenal work here on the grounds uh, there's a there's a hospital uh, there's a church uh, there's there's a couple of schools for for kids ages elementary school age through high school the gospel is being shared in word it's being shared through meeting immediate and urgent needs it's being shared through countless acts of love. And it was just a privilege to to see it up close, to be there, to partner with them and and the work of the ministry. And I came away just with a tremendous sense of admiration and gratitude for the many of you who over the years you've prayed for, you've partnered with, you've supported this ministry. And I came away just excited about the future of this partnership and what God might do I want you to know that in this year and in the coming years, we're going to have many trips to Guinea and to Ghana and to places like Honduras. And with everything that is in me, I want you to go. And it's not just for people who are medical workers. This is an invitation to every single person who is a follower of Jesus. You have a meaningful role to play in the mission. I want you to go. Jesus calls us to go. This is some of the people on the team that I was with. Uh, One of the things that we had the privilege of doing was putting on a medical conference for nurses and doctors and medical students and chaplains. Uh, This is uh, Dr. John Park from our church teaching a man how to examine a heart with a portable uh, ultrasound machine. Now, that's cool. That's not what I thought was the coolest. I was really riveted by the presentation on orthopedics. Uh, If you need to know the difference between a transverse fracture and a spiral fracture, I'm your guy. Um, I don't wanna brag, I'm basically an orthopedist now. Um, Back in 2021, you gave generously to the Freedom Campaign and you helped us pay off all of our debt Uh, We were able to do some things for a local ministry, next chapter, and we were also able to fund the construction of a center for kids there at the Compassion Evangelical Hospital. Over 2022, this building was constructed. I wish I had a better uh, picture, but this is a place uh, where kids can go after school. This is a place where kids can go when their parents are in the hospital, they can be loved, they can be cared for and invested in, and this is us together uh, just praying to dedicate this space, and I get to be the messenger from them to you of them saying, thank you and how much they appreciate you making this happen uh, for their ministry there. And for all of you who gave directly to this, thank you. But many of you gave indirectly. When you give financially to Autumn Ridge, you help to fund ministry endeavors like this and many others. And so from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for your partnership in ministry. One of the days that I was there, we toured the schools and classes and uh, in an elementary school, I met this little guy right here, wearing a Vikings hoodie, so I had to take a photo with him. You know, <laughs> Now that I'm from Minnesota, and tragically, I, I'm a Saints fan, it's not good for us, but since I was there, I taught him in the class the skull chant, I hope I did you proud. <laughs> this little girl right here, she thinks I'm crazy. She's having a good time. And I probably did look a little bit crazy, and there's something that I experienced there. From the outside in, if you don't know, you probably think, that's crazy, I don't know how to explain that. But I experienced a more immediate, a deeper, more profound bond with followers of Jesus there than I can with people here who aren't yet ready to follow Jesus. Over the course of this month, we've been asking the question, what is church? We're saying this is church. Church is the body of Jesus. And when we trust in Jesus, when we follow him, when we give our allegiance to him, we're not just connected to him. We become bonded with all other people who trust in and follow him. It's not simply that we share something in common. We share being in Christ. And it overcomes old divisions, distinctions, prejudices, hostility, and we're made one in him. And to understand this, we really have to begin by looking at Jesus. In chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Ephesians, writes this, God placed all things under his feet, under Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The first thing that we see is that Jesus is the authority over all things. That's what it means, that all things are under his feet. And maybe the most profound question that we can ever ask in our lives is, who's in charge? Now, there are people probably in this room today who are joining us online and you're trying to figure out what you think about Jesus, what you think about Christians. I'm so glad that you're here or watching online with us. You are at an important junction point in your life's journey. And one of the questions you're asking, you're probably trying to figure out, look at our lifestyles to see if this fits for you. That's what I would be doing. And one of the questions that you might be asking is some version of this question, what are the rules if I'm going to be a Christian? And that's not a bad question, but if it's okay, can I tweak that and offer what I think is a better question? And really the primary question is who rules? Jesus is the authority over all things. But he's also described as head over everything for the church. If you've been with us, you probably remember what that means. It means that Jesus is the source of our new life, new status, new love, unity, and purpose. And this is incredibly important to remember as we walk through what we're going to read today. It is 100% dependent on Jesus. We don't look within, we look to him for what it is that he has called us to and given to us. At Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this for Jesus. He himself is our, what's this word? Does this world need peace? does Memphis need peace? Does Ukraine need peace? Does Rochester need peace? Do we in this room and watching online, do we need peace? Jesus is our peace. He has made the two groups one. What are the two groups? The Apostle Paul was talking about those who were Jews and those who were non-Jewish. They're divided by deep, nasty hostility. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. When we come to Jesus, when we follow him, he makes us new individuals, but not just that. He makes us one new humanity in him. Jesus resolves all the hostility between us and God that's created by our own sin. But he also obliterates. He puts the death hostility between people who now come to him in faith. James W. Thompson is a Bible scholar who I have grown to uh, really admire. And he has a perspective on this that that I want to share with you. He says this, so the Apostle Paul knows no private relationship to Christ, for believers are incorporated into Christ with others. Unlike other communities, the church knows no boundaries between ethnic groups or social classes. Even though the presence of different social classes and ethnic groups creates the potential for conflict, the idea of the homogenous church would be unacceptable to Paul. And by homogenous church, we mean a church where everybody is like everybody, Everybody agrees with everybody. Everybody has the same background, the same status, the same preferences. He says, having a church that, like that, that would be unacceptable to Paul. It is contrary to the gospel, to do church with, to only gather with, to have worship services with people who are exactly like us. When the church gathers together, it should be the most diverse collection of humans in that community, it should be the most diverse collections of humans on the planet. We've talked about church like this. So the big circle represents a local church. This could represent our church. And inside there's a bunch of different types of people, different groups of people. But as we begin to understand what the Apostle Paul says, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened to what we have been given in Christ, to what we have been called to in Christ. All of those old divisions and distinctions, they move to the background and we begin to experience oneness and unity in Jesus. And the experience of this is peace. And that's always easy, right? Other times it doesn't come naturally. Is there times that it feels a bit bumpy? Are there times that we settle for this right here? Counterfeit peace. Let me give us some examples of what that can look like. It can look like this. Well, you have a local church and people, everybody just kind of goes to their own space and I'm going to be with the people who are like me and you be with the people who are like you and we're just going to keep our distance. It's counterfeit peace. Or sometimes we figure out who we think we can get along with and the people who are hard to love, we squeeze them out of the church. That's counterfeit peace. Or sometimes it's, well, you guys go have your own church with the people who are like you, and we'll do our own church with the people who are like us. It's counterfeit peace. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a bunch of churches. We need a bunch of churches in a city like ours. This morning, in our town of 115,000 people, surveys tell us that over 100,000 people are not engaged or connected to any church whatsoever this morning. We need many churches. It's good to have many churches, and it's good for churches to be diverse in their expressions and styles, and that's, that's a wonderful thing, but hear me on this. It is a counterfeit to think we can divide our way to peace and every Jesus follower who I've ever known in my life they like peace and they grieve it when it's absent and they pray for it when peace is absent and yet there's something about peacemaking that can make us feel insecure there's something about peacemaking that can feel risky and to show you what I'm talking about I'm going to do a very unscientific survey I'm going to ask a question wait for me to get the whole question out and if you agree just raise your hand are you ready Have you ever known that you needed to apologize to someone and it would be good to apologize to someone and you knew that it would be best if you made the first move and didn't wait for them to apologize first, but you let something talk you out of making the first move? Who can relate to that? Be brave. Now look around this room. You're surrounded by people who love peace, but what does this show us? We are all vulnerable to accepting something that is less than peace. We're all vulnerable to accepting something that's counterfeit peace, and this is what that can look like. Stuffing our feelings is not peacemaking. Ignoring our differences, that's not peacemaking. Distancing ourselves from each other, that's not peacemaking. Passive aggressiveness is not peacemaking. Pretending to agree, that's not peacemaking. Gathering with only the people who are like us is not peacemaking. There's nothing the wrong with gathering with people who are like you, but that's not how we cultivate peace. Only saying nice things to each other is not peacemaking. Avoiding each other is not peacemaking. Praying about it, but never talking with the other person is not peacemaking. Prayer is never a substitute for obedience. Obedience. Now hear me, nothing is a substitute for prayer. It should be the air that we breathe. But prayer is not a substitute for taking the teachings of Jesus and putting them into action in our lives. Establishing who is right is not peacemaking. There are many, many conflicts in which both sides are right. There are many conflicts in which everybody's wrong. And then there are lots of conflicts, maybe most of them, which everybody involved is some mixture of being right and wrong. Trying to please everyone is not peacemaking. Creating niche church environments is not peacemaking. Now, in our church, there's nothing wrong, in any church, there's nothing wrong with having environments that serve unique needs. We're going to have environments for kids and teens We're going to have environments for Celebrate Recovery, for Financial Peace University, for Grief Share, for Senior Adults, Women's Bible Studies, and many other things. But creating these little environments, smaller environments, that's not how we create peace. Changing churches is not peacemaking. Now, most of us, if not all of us, At some point in our life, we're going to change which church we gather with, we're going to change which church we join, and we're going to do so for all kinds of good and valid reasons. But in times of hurt and disappointment and offense, simply changing churches is not peacemaking. Jesus doesn't lead us away from conflict. He leads us to it and through it. And in case you think that I'm crazy and you're just not ready to trust me on this one, which is all right, I want to ask you to do two things. Number one, would you remember that conflict and fighting are not the same thing? Would you remember that conflict is not necessarily wrong? And the second thing I want to ask you to do is to read the Gospels. Read the biographies of Jesus' life that were written by the people who were there with him. And you will see that there were times that Jesus, he could have avoided conflict, but he didn't. And there were times in conflict that Jesus, on purpose, raised the stakes. And he always did so as an expression of love with the aim of making peace. So I hope your interest is piqued now. And I hope that all of us are asking some version of this question. What do we do when we aren't like each other and we aren't sure we like each other? (laughs) Well, what do we do? The Apostle Paul gives us the cheat codes for how to follow Jesus in that scenario. And what I want to do is I just want to read it. I'm not going to put it up on the screen yet. If you want to follow along on your phone, it's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. If you want to follow along in one of the Bibles that we've provided, it's on page 1819. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 25, page 1819 on the Bibles that are there in the seat back pocket in front of you. But I just want to read it. I'll put it on the screen later and we'll go through it line by line. But this is what I want to do now. Just let these words fall on your ears. Let these words wash over your mind. Let them make their way into your hearts. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children of God. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. There's something about preaching a message like this to you all today that makes me feel exposed. I don't know if you ever had the naked dream um, where you show up at school naked or work naked. I have been plagued by that dream my whole life. My man. This message makes me feel like I'm living that dream out. And here's why. It's because I know that I'm not an example of this. I'm not, I want to be, but I'm not yet. And I'm trying to remind myself today that I'm not preaching this because I'm good. I'm sharing it because it is good and because Jesus is good. And the people who know me the best, they see all the ways that I fall short of this, all the ways that I miss the mark. But I want to do what I'm asking you to do is to let's look at Jesus. Just keep our eyes on him and My prayer is that today that we would behold Jesus and be captivated by his goodness and because we see how good he is, that we are inspired to take our next step of trust, to follow our head, to follow our leader in the way of love, and to being peacemakers. And I recognize that what we're talking about today is going to be harder for some of us than for others. And that's okay. That's allowed. There's a a spectrum of experiences. If you're kind of like me and you came, you were raised in a house where there was emotional and physical abuse, some of the things that we're going to talk about today might feel impossible. If you were raised on the other end of the spectrum where you were raised in a loving and a nurturing, healthy home, some of these things might feel familiar. But the good news for all of us today is that it is not about us It is good for us, but it's about Jesus. He is the source of our new life, our new status, our love, unity, and purpose. It comes from him. And what we're talking about today, it does not come naturally, and that's okay. It comes supernaturally. Jesus is our source, and it comes by looking to him, not by looking within. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. As I read this, And I was marinating in it and asking myself questions. I couldn't help but wonder, is there more to this than a prohibition against saying things that are not factually true? If you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. There's more than one way to lie to each other, isn't there? And what I want to share next, it requires wisdom, but I just want to set it on the table and we can just kind of look at it and think about it. When we withhold our true selves from each other, when we withhold what we think, when we withhold what we believe, what we feel, when we withhold who we are, when we withhold our true selves from each other, we are robbing others of a chance to know us and accept us and love us. And any time that we withhold our true selves from each other, We got to ask ourselves this question Am I allowing them to believe something that isn't true? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, this is not saying it's better to get angry earlier in the day (laughs) so you have more time to deal with it. All right, the sun going down, don't take that literally, take that seriously. Paul is saying, deal with it quickly, don't delay. This is urgent. It's important to remember that being angry is not a sin. You can have white, hot anger. It's not a sin. Being angry doesn't mean that we are in the wrong. It means that we are vulnerable. When we're angry, we're not wrong. We are vulnerable. The devil is real. Evil spiritual forces are real. And our anger makes us vulnerable to their influence in our lives and in our church. And we see that when we use things like hurt, offense, and disappointment as an excuse to stop being loving, to stop being gentle, to stop submitting to one another, to stop serving one another as more important than ourselves. Anger tears at the fabric of community, And things like hurt and disappointment and offense, if we're not careful, we can use that as a license to be self-centered, to practice self-firstness. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this next. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Focus on the needs of others. And as I read this, I'm going to share with you the question I asked myself. Is there something about my modern American vantage point that causes me to only see this partially, but not as fully as Jesus wants me to see it? And so I turned to what Christians thought early on in Christian history. And I want to share with you something from John Chrysostom. He was the Archbishop of Constantinople in the 400s. He is largely considered one of the most influential preachers and Bible teachers in all of Christian history. He said this, Not to enable the poor to share in our goods is to steal from them and deprive them of life. The goods we possess are not ours, but theirs. This is a view into peacemaking. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is, what's this word? Helpful. Helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine being with a collection of people. Imagine being a part of a congregation, and you are the cause for offense. You're the cause for hurt. You're the cause for disappointment but you're with this group and they are so captivated by the way of Jesus and they are so committed to walking in the way of Jesus that even when you are the cause for hurt, disappointment, and offense, they will only talk to you and talk about you in a way that's helpful. They will only talk to you and talk about you in a way that's a benefit. Would you want to be a part of a group like that? Could you imagine? Could you imagine how powerful it would be if people said, that describes our congregation. As I read these words, I'm just gonna be frank with you. I'm gonna be honest with you. I feel like the Holy Spirit of God is convicting me of my own sin and wooing me to take my next step of trust and being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I know that that's a, that's a journey that we wanna to walk together. And so as we think about that, there are many practical insights that we could draw out of this, but I wanna share with you just one. Speak as if you're being overheard. I learned this from a woman named Kathy Keller. She's the wife of one of my favorite pastors, Tim Keller. She essentially says, she's trying to teach her church, just just assume that everything you say is going to be known by everyone. Speak as if you're being overheard. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There is not an extravagant or nuanced theological point to be made here. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's really kind of raw. You and I, we have the capacity to bring grief and sorrow. We have the capacity to bring grief and sorrow to the Holy Spirit of God by the way we treat each other, by the way that we talk to each other, by the way that we talk about each other, or by the way that we won't talk to each other. So what does the Holy Spirit do when when those things happen in a congregation? If you're a note taker, the Holy Spirit doesn't turn away from us even when we turn on each other. He doesn't turn away from us even when we turn on each other. This is what he does he grieves. This wrecks me. And I feel like the Apostle Paul is pulling the curtain back and allowing us to see reality for what it actually is. And immediately following these words, he writes, get rid of what's this word All, not most get rid of all get rid of all bitterness rage and anger brawling and slander along with every form of malice be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you if you were here in December uh, you might remember a message where we talked about the very first time that God described himself to people. The very first time that God ever described himself in human history, you can read about it in Exodus 34, 6. The first word God used to describe himself was compassionate. And the context was is that his people had made some horrible decisions. They had turned their back on him. And essentially God said, Listen, this is the first thing you got to know about me. I'm compassionate. Right here, we have two lists of ways that we can be. And these two lists are like divergent paths. And we get to decide which path we want to follow as individuals, which path we want to follow as a church. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. It begins and ends with Jesus. And following Jesus is walking in the way of the cross. And if you were to read Ephesians for yourself, and I hope that you do, these are the kinds of things you're going to read. The Apostle Paul says, it's my prayer that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened to all that you've been given in Christ, all that you've been called to in Christ. And he even says this, the same power of God that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you when you believe in Jesus. And so we don't have to ask, can I do this? We know we can't. But through the power of God, through faith in Jesus, we can. And so really the question is this, will we repent? Will we turn away from what comes naturally to us and comes naturally to the world and and, and resist the example that we see all around us and instead turn to Jesus and follow him and walk in the way of love and follow our leader? As I think about this, I can't help but think about the life story of Paul. If you don't know, you should know that he began his adult career as a state-sponsored hunter of Christians, a state-sponsored prosecutor of Christians. His goal was to eradicate Christianity and the spread of the gospel. He was responsible for putting Christians in prison. We know that he was involved in at least one honor killing of a Christian. Uh, He was clearly responsible for the intense suffering of many believers and was probably responsible or involved in the death of other Jesus followers. But his life radically changed when he encountered the resurrected Jesus. And he became a follower of Jesus and eventually a leader of other Jesus followers. His life is an incredible story of peace and peacemaking. There's a pastor who I follow online, and he recently shared this, and I want to share it with you. He said, the apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. Could you imagine? He entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. That's how the gospel works. Jesus is our peace. He makes us one. And when we trust in him, he remakes us into peacemakers. So I want to ask, if there is anyone in the body of Christ, if there is a brother or sister with whom you have a conflict, should we wait till we get to heaven and get that sorted out? Or should we do something about it right now? What could stop us? What could stop us from going to someone and just saying, hey, I just want to acknowledge how I've contributed to the conflict and would you forgive me? And if somebody came to us, what could stop us? from being humble and gentle and forgiving and loving in the same way that Jesus was to us. I want to close with really what are simply the words of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers.